All right. Well, good morning and happy Lord's Day. Uh, it's great to be here on uh, on Sunday to worship with you all and to kind of close up our retreat together. Um, yeah. So want to go over kind of again the the outline of where we've been, um, where we're headed today. So again, we we had this theme of fruitful joy, and um, you know, kind of thinking about you know obviously the theology of joy, and then yesterday was a lot of how it applied to especially our personal growth and holiness and uh, but today is really going to focus in on how joy that we receive from Christ uh, can't stay private but it goes public it goes it spills over in a life of love for others and particularly in love for the lost and so that's kind of what we're going to talk about is how joy overflows in gospel witness and so I want to pray for us uh, and we'll get into this word together Father, we, uh, we come before you this, this morning. We just want to thank you for, uh, again, just how you've been faithful and you've been with us through this retreat and you've been blessing us. And, um, and Lord, we pray now that this, this morning as we come now to your word, uh, we come before you, Lord, would you, Holy Spirit, uh, impress on our hearts um, your word and in a way that uh, brings conviction, that brings comfort, it brings strength, and brings joy. And, and propels a people on mission. And so, God, we pray uh, you alone can do that, God. So we, we ask and pray that you would. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, my sophomore year in college is when, you know, the Lord started to really, uh, especially put a burden in my heart for lost people. And uh, one of the friends that the Lord gave me was an unbeliever. His name was Ganesh. Uh, he went by G. So my friend G and I, we started doing a Bible study together. We did an investigative Bible study. Uh, he's from a Hindu background. And uh, we started doing a few Bible studies. I got to the point where I was able to share the gospel with him. And I did, you know, we call a bridge diagram. And I shared, you know, the basics of, you know, God who, who made us. And yet we had fallen to sin. And uh, the, the, wor- the righteous punishment of God was, was hell and wrath. But that we had forgiveness through Christ. We had eternal life offered to us through Christ. And so I, I gave the invitation for my friend G to receive Christ, but he wasn't ready uh, to receive Christ. Um, now, I have to remind you of this too, that, you know, this is one of the first times I'm sharing the gospel this clearly and explicitly with a friend of mine. So I'm like super nervous, <laughs> super afraid as I'm talking to him. And then, uh, you know, the conversation goes like this. And he, he says, Tony, do you really believe that people will go to hell if they don't believe in Jesus? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like timidly, I'm like, yes, you know, I do believe that. He says, really, you really believe that uh, people will go to hell if they don't believe in Jesus? And I said, yes, that, and that's why I'm telling you, because I want you to, to know Jesus. And, and he said, wow, and, you know, imagine, what, what did he say next? He's like, you bigot, I hate you, <laughs> we're not friends anymore. This is what he said that, that sticks with me. He says, then, Tony, why don't Christians tell more people? Tony, why don't Christians tell more people? And, you know, I didn't have a good answer for him than to say that, you know, sometimes I think we're afraid. And he was shocked by that answer. And, uh, you know, that story to me is a constant rebuke. My friend G is still not a Christian. But the first time that he maybe clearly heard the gospel, he was, he was convinced from hearing it that if Christians say they believe it, that they, we should proclaim it. And yet for us as Christians, you know, maybe many of us grew up in the church, have uh, heard the gospel week in and week out. 
You know, may we lose sight of that simple truth and reality. So today I want to speak about being a witness for Jesus Christ and understand our call uh, for lost people, uh, to have a heart for them and to have a holy calling to reach them with the gospel. And so we're going to look at that from passage in Joshua, actually, Joshua chapter 1. And uh, I admit already that that's not a traditional place to learn about evangelism. And it's really actually the passage itself is not specifically about evangelism, but I think we can get principles about it from uh, Scripture because God's heartbeat is for the lost from Genesis to Revelation. And what we see is that in the Scripture that God uses, especially in the Old Testament, that Israel is a a type, a picture, uh, a physical picture of spiritual realities. And so I think there's a a clear physical picture being shown here, uh, an undeniable spiritual principle of of how we're to have a heart. uh, Those that have an inheritance are to have a heart for those no inheritance. Um, and so we can see that from the context. So let me give some context here of what's happening in Joshua chapter one. So basically, you know, Israel has been delivered from Egypt. They've wandered the desert for 40 years and now they're preparing to enter the promised land, which is uh, over there on the, the left side of the picture for you guys. And, uh, and what has happened is an interesting subplot in Numbers 32 we find that three of the 12 tribes have actually received their inheritance uh, east of the Jordan River. Um, the, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Okay, so they've received their inheritance, and God allows them to keep that land as their inheritance. But there's a stipulation that he gives to them. He says that when it's time for the other nine tribes to fight to receive their land, you must fight for your brothers uh, uh, who have not yet received their inheritance. And so now we come to Joshua chapter one. It's time for these three tribes to live up to the promise that they've made. And so let's read Joshua chapter one, verses 12 to 15. And let's see what what God calls them to. It says, And to the Reubenites and the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. Until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. They also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. So here we'll learn three principles about what type of heart those of us that have an inheritance are to have towards those who have no inheritance, right? That's the picture that's here in this Old Testament passage of, uh, of a group of tribes that have an inheritance, uh, but there's nine that don't. And for us that are in Christ, we have a rich inheritance in Jesus Christ, uh, but there is a lost world that has no inheritance. And so what, what calling do we have? Uh, what attitudes are we to have? What life are we to have towards those that have no inheritance? And so we'll see three things that we'll learn from this passage about that. Now, this outline is, we'll, we'll learn about the call to help, we'll look at the ways to help, and then we'll look at the reward of helping. Okay? So, first thing that we'll see is, is the call to help. And we'll see kind of two, two calls, so to speak, in the call to help. Well, the first call is the, the, the call to remember. And then the second call is the call to help. Okay, so first is remember. It says, remember the word that Moses, the uh, servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. You see that God is reminding the three tribes of, of their past, of God's faithfulness to them. He's saying, remember, 
Remember, in the, in the past, only a generation before, you were slaves in Egypt. And then in this previous generation, you were desert wanderers. You had no place to call home. But now you've been given freedom from slavery. You have a place to call home. You have, you have peace from your enemies, green grass to, to, for pastures. You can build your homes, a place to raise your family. You can enjoy all of God's blessings. He's saying, remember what God has done in your life. I think the first step in, in, in calling these three tribes to obedience is not to give them the command to help first, but the first command is to remember. Remember the cruel, hard slavery. Remember the difficult and dry desert. Uh, but now remember all the goodness that God has brought into your life. I think for us in, in our call to reach the lost, you know, our first call is not to go, but our first call is to remember. Remember this. Remember our own lostness before we met Jesus Christ. Remember the sweetness of his salvation, of the internal life that we have with him. You know, let me ask, you know, what are some reasons that, you know, we, we believe we should witness? And, you know, I think that we know, generally speaking, okay, I should be a witness for Christ, but, you know, there's some bad motivations, right? You know, one motivation might be like, uh, I feel guilty. <laughs> you know, I feel guilty, that's why I should witness, or I'm afraid, you know, Pastor Susang will yell at me or something, or if I don't witness, and so uh, I don't want to be a bad Christian, bad church member, but. You know, biblically speaking, those are not God-glorifying reasons to witness, right? So how does God want us to witness? He wants us to witness, again, from the joy of our salvation, right? Imagine if there's a, you know, thirsty person that, you know, is on the side of the road and you see them and they're dying of thirst and you have water and, uh, and you, you, you say, hey, have this cup of water, you know, to satisfy your thirst. And, and they might ask you like, hey, have you drank of this water? Like, yeah, you know, I drank it a long time ago. I forgot how it tastes, but yeah, drink it, you know, and. That's not a compelling way to invite someone to drink. But what's the compelling way to invite someone to drink is you drink, <sighs> you're satisfied. And you say, you look thirsty. You look like you're dying of thirst. Can I, can I give you? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was the Holy Spirit right there. Uh, <laughs> you look thirsty. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I planted that. Um, you know, and you, you ask that person, would you like a drink, right? And that person wants to drink, right? Because they're, they're, they, they're compelled by your satisfaction, right? They, they, they can taste what you taste in a sense, right? And so what's the application to be an effective witness for Christ is drink from Jesus every day. Just be so satisfied by him, right? Be so satisfied by him. And church, if we have a thirst for God, we'll be able to feed many thirsty souls. And so the first call is the call to remember. But then the call after that is then, then help. Okay, so we remember, remember our blessings. But then we, we are called to overflow by helping our brothers. Again, verse 13 says, remember, remember the word of the Lord uh, that Moses' servant of the Lord commanded you. Uh, but then it goes on to say in verse 14, your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you be uh, beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and you shall help them. You know, some Christians were so content in enjoying our blessings, uh, but we don't learn how to bless others with our blessings. The Bible is clear, though, that if we really believe in Jesus, we genuinely know him, uh, that it will lead us to share him with other people. You know, the, the, you know, the proof that we really know him and that our love for him is real is that it overflows. 
it overflows to other people. I want to share a little bit of a, personally about some of the history of this passage and its impact in my life, and then share an application for us as a church here. Show this picture here. Um, as a picture, uh, the history of how Christianity came to India. Uh, tradition actually says that uh, the Apostle Thomas actually came to India, to South India. That's, you know, that, that part of India right there. That's, uh, that, that state there is Kerala, which is actually where uh, my family's from, my, my wife Marilyn as well. And so there is actually a long tradition of Christianity in that part of India, 2,000 years. Uh, you know, an apostolic faith. And so, you know, we come from that lineage, so to speak. You know, when we trace back our genealogy, our, our family's Christian as far as we know, at least. Uh, and so we're, we're a blessed people. But, you know, one of the sad things, again, as we study about India and we know the, the context is that, you know, the gospel did not spread outside of that part of India very much in the last 2,000 years. You know, the gospel has come to other parts of India, but more so maybe the last 200 years through the modern missions movement, but really not through the work of people of Kerala as much. So as I was studying this passage in college, I felt like God was really pressing to my heart this, this conviction, this burden. Really, the, the God was really saying to me, Tony, I gave you and your people the gospel in India 2,000 years ago. But you and your people have disobeyed the Great Commission for 2,000 years. And so, you know, Tony, I want you, I want your generation to break this generational curse and to bring the gospel to the rest of India. And so the Lord really pressed this passage deeply in my heart to say, God, you gave us this rich inheritance, not to just enjoy it ourselves, of course to enjoy it, uh, but to, to, to go out, to share it with a people that do not know. You know, can I ask you, church, how is the Holy Spirit pressing this passage into your heart? Do you see how richly you're blessed? And do you see people around you that are lost without Christ? Uh, if I could show a picture here, this is a picture of um, me in high school. I'm over there. You'll see here a group of Indian guys, except for one guy. This is, this is my friend, John Yoon, a uh, Korean, Korean brother of mine. And what we're doing here, we're doing like a cultural show in high school, like a, a fashion show. And, uh, and so it was like, the, in, he joined the India club and he did the fashion show with us. And so, you know, at that time I was not a believer. Um, you know, he was a Christian and, you know, when he joined, like all of us were like, okay, cool, man, you could join us, you know, but it was, it was like, it was weird. You know, we didn't know exactly why he was there, but you know, and, uh, and it was, I'm sure awkward for him, you know, cause he didn't know everyone there. And, and yet he just, he's a trooper and he stuck it out, you know, and then later as I became a believer, I looked back, I'm like, oh, and actually John became one of my close, uh, friends and, uh, helped me just to walk with the Lord early as I became a Christian. I look back and I realize that, man, John was trying to be a, a witness and a missionary for Christ, right? And, you know, think about how weird and awkward that probably was for him, how uncomfortable that was for him. Uh, but but I'm, I'm challenged when I think about that, that this brother left his comfort zones to enter a place where people did not know Christ so that we can have the comforts of the gospel. And if I were to ask you, if I were to challenge you, do you, do you, do you have a picture like this? Maybe not a literal picture, right? but does our life look like this? where we leave our comforts and we go uh, and enter the lives of lost people uh, so that they would have Christ, they would have the gospel. And so we see that there's a call. There's a call to help. But then the next question is that if we're convinced, okay, God's given me a call, what are the ways to help? How, how should I engage? And that leads to the next point, the ways to help. 
we see that for these three Eastern tribes, we see that there's certain certain things that that, that God calls them to in the midst of, of of fighting for their brothers. And so we'll look at four ways that they're called to help. The first way they're called to help is they're called to commit. They're called to commit. Verse 14 says, all the men of valor are to, are to fight. You know, what we see here is that God says that there, there are no excuses. Yeah, anyone that has the ability to fight uh, must fight. There's no escape clause. And I think for us as, as, as followers of Christ, in terms of witnessing, you know, if we've been given the light of the gospel, if we've been given an inheritance, uh, then we are called to share it. You know, sometimes we say, you know, that, you know, I, I'm not much of an evangelist. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I think that there's people that sincerely have a great gift of evangelism. Praise God. I don't, I don't think I'm actually a very gifted evangelist. Um, but it doesn't mean that I'm exempt. It doesn't mean that any of us are exempt from being a witness for Christ. You know, all, your, all the men of valor parallels all the body of Christ. Um, I'll show a picture here. You know, sometimes, you know, the, yeah, I thought the youth would be here. We, they left. I guess there's young people here. So, but there's a picture of me in sixth or seventh grade. I have, I don't know if you can see it. I have like a mustache for some reason. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, at this time, like I, I don't even know if I'm really a Christian, but I had like this moment <laughs> where, where we, we had a chance to teach our class any subject. They, the teacher's like, you get, you get to be the teacher. And so I had two loves. I loved basketball and, and Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And I loved Jesus for that period of time. And so I was like, oh, what do I, I want to touch about basketball. But I felt convicted to, to share about Christ and share the gospel. So there's like a little bridge, bridge diagram in the back. And, you know, my class was like, you know, Muslims and Jews and uh, all these people. And so I, I had a chance to share, right? Now, I, I share that to say that like, man, I was just like this broke kid. I didn't know like anything. I didn't know whatever. But I just, you know, whatever little I had, I said, God, I want to, I want to be used by you. Right, and so, if if God could use this little weakling kid that didn't know anything, uh, surely He can use us. Amen. Uh, surely we have something to give. And so, uh, you know, we're called to commit. Second thing, we're called to be equipped. It says, uh, "You shall pass over armed before your brothers." God commands them to go into battle fully armed. You know, it seems like almost a foolish command, right? <laughs> Who goes into battle without armor? But sadly, as Christians, sometimes we are foolish in that we go into this battle not equipped with spiritual armor. Uh, you know, when we engage lost people, it is a war. It is a war for their souls. And we need to be equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit that comes through the power of prayer. And we need to be equipped with wisdom to understand people's view, just like kind of yesterday, just understanding people, how to engage them with wisdom, with strategy, with apologetics, to explain and defend the faith. And so uh, we need to equip ourselves for gospel witness, the next thing that we see is that we need to sacrifice. It's interesting what it says here. Verse 14 says, you shall pass over before your brothers and you shall help them. You know, the crazy thing is that God calls these three Eastern tribes to fight on the front line of the battlefield. Right? Think about it. It's not even their battle. It's not even for their homeland. But they, it says, you are to go before your brothers. I mean, you, you have to be on the front lines of the battlefield, meaning you're the first ones to die. It's not your fight, so to speak, but you're the first ones to die. I remember playing tackle football with some friends in, in high school. You know, we're like, want to beat each other up and fight, you know, tackle each other. So I remember the first kickoff, we're all like really fired up. And so I saw one guy, and I didn't know all the people on the field who were kind of like new to each other. And I saw, I was like, I could take that guy. So I like went to like run after him, and I like went to like hit him. 
And I didn't realize that this guy was like the best player and he's like built like an absolute rock. So I like hit him and I went flying backwards. I hit the ground. I was like, oh my gosh, I think I'm dead. And uh, I got up and then the rest of the game, I'll like stay in the back. <laughs> like stay in the back. And then like when everything's done, I like jump in on the top after the end. Like, cause I was so scared after I got hit, you know? Why, why did I tell that pathetic story about myself? Um, <laughs> the point is this, that we have to get on the front line and you're going to get hit, you're going to get hurt, right? Uh, that, you know, to be a witness for Christ, it requires some sacrifices, requires some pain, some hardships. It's un uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, right? Even learning a little bit about the Bay Area, you're a minority here as a follower of Christ. You might be ridiculed, rejected, made fun of. There may be very little fruit in the work that you do but we're called to go before our brothers to lay our life down just as Christ laid his life down for us. We lay our life down uh, to show what the cross of Christ is like to lost people. So we sacrifice, but also we, we persevere. We have to persevere. Um, <clears throat> verse 14 to 15 says, you shall help them until the Lord gives them rest to your brothers as he has to you. You know, God calls these three tribes to fight until the end. Until the brothers have rest, right? That, that word, how long are you supposed to fight? Until the Lord gives them rest. There's no quitting. There's no going home. You fight until the task is done. And if you look at the book of Joshua, we see that these, these tribes fought for seven years. They brought down 31 cities before they actually went home. In the same way that these tribes were called to be faithful to the very end, we are called to give our lives for the lost until the end. Uh, until all the world comes to know Christ or until we are called home. You know, uh, George Mueller is a well-known evangelist of the 1800s and a uh, man who had come to saving faith in Christ. And when he had come to faith in Christ, he had five friends that he, he, he were, who were lost that he loved and he began praying for them every day for their salvation. And so he kept praying fervently for, that, for these friends. And after many months, one of those friends, one of the five friends came to Christ and he kept praying 10 more years and two other of the friends came to Christ. He continued in prayer for 25 years and the fourth friend uh, came to Christ. But there was still this fifth friend and he kept praying all of his life. He prayed for 52 years for this final friend. And, and George Mueller died and in his funeral, he, he, he didn't get to see his friend come to Christ. But after the funeral of George Mueller, this fifth friend came to saving faith in Christ. And we see that the persevering faith of George Mueller was rewarded. I think it's a powerful example that we are called to persevere till the end uh, for the lost. You know, I shared, you know, earlier, um, you know, about a, a certain sense of calling that the Lord had put in my heart for, for Indians, for Hindus and Muslims to come to Christ. And I, that, that call uh, felt so clear in my heart, especially in college. There was this fire in my heart for the lost. And I, you know, so I would, in college, I would share Christ with a lot of my friends. You know, I would share the gospel with them. I would, I would buy Bibles for them. I would bring them to church. And so early on, I felt like, man, God, you're going to just bring revival. There's going to be so many Hindus that come to Christ. But what happened is that, you know, as we were on that college campus ministry, uh, and, and, you know, we would see people come to Christ that were from, you know, uh, nominal backgrounds. We're thankful for that. The Lord is at work. But there was, there was a burden in my heart because I, I, we hadn't seen Hindus or Muslims come to Christ. And I would get discouraged. You know, I'll get discouraged. I began to wonder, God, is there something wrong with me? You know, is, you know maybe I was, had to question my calling. Maybe I was not called to this. 
So years and years had passed, but God, by his grace, gave me strength to just keep going, persevere. Um, you know, so 15 years and in, in, in that ministry had passed and we had not seen uh, any Hindus at least come to Christ. Um, and then, um, you know, what happened was in 2016, we had a, a, a brother, his name was Isaac. He was a freshman student who had come to ca- campus. He was from a Hindu background. And he started to come to, to church. And, um, you know, he started coming to welcoming events. And like started, then he started to come to like small group and then Sunday services or large groups. And like, we're like, man, this guy's like coming to everything. And, uh, and what we realized, you know, at that time, he was kind of combining Hinduism and Christianity and trying to just use Christianity as a way to become like a better person, essentially. And so, you know, it was his freshman year in the fall and he was about to go home for Thanksgiving break. And so I met up with Isaac, you know, we had gotten to know each other. We had a relationship and we met up before Thanksgiving break. And I, and I just sat down with him. I said, you know, Isaac, I just want to share the gospel more clearly with you. And so I, I walked him through the, the gospel uh, very clearly that, you know, Christianity is not about making you a better person. It's realizing you're a sinner in need of a savior. And I shared that with him, but as he, as he heard it, he processed it. He, he's like, I'm not sure I, I really get that or I believe that. So he had went home over uh, Thanksgiving break, and he had been reading the Bible as well, you know, through that semester. We stayed in touch over the Thanksgiving break, and what happened is that he had, when he was home uh, for Thanksgiving, he had this vivid dream. And in this dream, he was in a desert with his other Indian friends that were also Hindu, and, and they were in this desert, and they were being wasted away, uh, and, and he, and he re- recognized he was being wasted away by his sins. And he was unable to rescue himself and he was terrified. And, and the verse that he was reminded of from the scripture he was reading, he remembered from Numbers, it says that you, you'll be sure that your sin will find you out. And, uh, and he, he was in that moment able to recognize I'm a sinner, that I deserve hell. And I have no way to rescue myself. And as, as we were talking over that break, I reminded him that I could, Isaac, that's absolutely true. You're a sinner, that you deserve hell. Uh, you can't save yourself. But here's another truth from Scripture. Romans 8 once is that there is therefore now co- no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he says as he meditated on that Scripture, he grasped the gospel finally. And that he understood the essence of the gospel was not becoming good enough, but recognizing his need for a Savior. And so that Thanksgiving break, you know, Isaac came to, to know Jesus. And I'm going to show a picture here. This is Isaac uh, on Easter a few years ago, his his baptism day when he... Uh, you know, had uh, had been baptized and proclaimed his faith in Christ. You know, and, uh, you know, there's kind of our, our Indian ministry kind of around him, encouraging him. You know, when you see this picture, maybe you just see like a group of Indian people just uh, staying there. But, you know, when I look at this picture, I see um, you know, years of tears and heartache and prayer. And And yet I can say that it's all worth it. Uh, that this picture serves as a gift to say, Tony, never give up. Never give up on the call that I've given to you. Uh, so brothers and sisters, let's commit. Let's, let's get equipped. Let's sacrifice. Let's persevere to the end. And that's the, that's the ways to help. But then lastly, there's, there's a reward of helping. That as we give our life for this cause, is, there's, there's actually great joy. There's great joy. There's great reward that comes. And then we'll look at that lastly. There's a reward of helping. Two specific rewards that we'll see. The first, the reward of being used by God. If you actually fast forward in the, in the book of Joshua, it, we get to, to, towards the end, we, we, what we see is that these tribes were faithful. So let me read from Joshua chapter 22. It says that 
Uh, at that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but you have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he has promised them. Uh, therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where the possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. So the emphasis that we see here is that what a blessing it's been for these three tribes that as they battled, their very own brothers have now found rest of the, as they have found rest. And again, they've been battling alongside them for seven years. And, and as they participate, they finally got to see their brothers also have a place to call home. And it must have been a great joy. In the same way that there is so much reward and joy uh, when we labor to see people come to Christ. And I would just ask, do we, do we, have we had that experience? Or at the very least, do we yearn for that experience to say, Lord, give me the great gift, the great privilege and joy of leading a person to Christ. There's so much joy and reward in that process. And so there's the reward of being used by God, but also I'd say this, that there's the reward of seeing God's greatness. Uh, Joshua 23, verses 9 to 10, you know, Joshua's giving a speech to the leaders of Israel, reflecting on all the battles. He says this, For the Lord is driven out before you, great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. You see, what God is reminding the Israelites is that it was the Lord that gave victory. Yes, these, these tribes were obedient. God used their obedience, but it was ultimately God who did the work. And as you read the book of Joshua, we see that these three tribes got to see some incredible things. Right? They crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. They saw the walls of Jericho fall down with a shout. They saw the sun stand in the sky for a day so they could defeat their enemies. That as they participated in this battle, they saw the miraculous, amazing hand of God. And it would only deepen their faith that I serve a mighty and awesome God. You know, when we choose to stand for Christ and be a witness for Him, God promises to work through us. And that He will do incredible, amazing, miraculous things even when we trust in him and we put our, put our life on the line for the cause of Christ. And so it's that if we lack witness in our life, in some ways we can say that we're the ones losing. We're missing out on an incredible opportunity to know Christ deeper, to know his glory, to know his greatness. Uh, you know, one of the times I, I got to experience this or see this more in my life was um, on a missions trip to India in um, several years ago, 2006. And uh, I was going to a place in India called Assam, India, where, um, you know, in our mission trip, we would be going into villages and sharing the gospel with people that had not heard about Christ. And so, you know, I was excited for that. And so I'm on the plane, and we're, we're in our first leg of our plane ride, and I'm sitting next to someone. And, and that, that plane ride, I didn't talk to that person or share Christ with that person. And I was thinking to myself, man, I feel like a hypocrite. Like I'm going halfway across the world to share Christ with people. I should talk to the people that I'm next to. And so... I made a commitment to the Lord, like, Lord, I'm going to share Christ with whoever I'm on the plane with next. Okay, so I made this commitment. And so we're in a, a small plane in India going to uh, our destination city, Silchar. So I'm sitting next to this middle-aged man, this Indian man, and we engage in some chit-chat. And he gives me his business card. I, I have it here. I won't say his name here, but I'll read the business card. It says, Member of Parliament. 
so he's a, a government official in India, which I'm like freaking out because we're going to like a place where it's not maybe the safest thing to, you know, we're saying we're tourists and all these kinds of things. So I'm like, oh my gosh, like what have I done? I made a rash vow to share the gospel. And I'm like, man, like, you know, our team might get sent home. I'm like engaged to get married. I really want to get married. I don't want to die as a martyr for Christ right now. And so I'm pretty like crazy, like, Lord, help me. Like, uh, you know, like do something. I don't know what to do. And so I'm like getting really scared. Uh, and then all of a sudden, like, we hadn't taken off yet. All of a sudden the, the pilot's like, there's a fog that's come across the plane. We need to get off the plane. We're like, what in the world? This never happened before. We all get off the plane. We get on this bus, and I'm talking to my team. I'm like, I'm talking, I'm saying it's a member of parliament. I made a vow to share the gospel. I like thinking maybe they're gonna be like, oh, use wisdom, and maybe you shouldn't do it. But they're like, yeah, they encouraged me. <laughs> and they prayed for me. I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, sinfully, I felt like I had to like share the gospel. But, you know, actually, but spiritually, it was very encouraging. It was strengthening. So I get back on the plane. You know, I'm still a little bit scared, but, you know, I'm strengthened by that time in prayer. And so, I don't think it's the smoothest thing, but I just, I just you know, jumped right in. I was like, hey, well, you know, what religion are you? And, uh, you know, he was a Hindu, and, and he's, you know, I asked, like, do you know what Christians believe? And I just shot out a piece of paper. I just started doing Romans 6, 23. You know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, you know, I wish I, wish I could say at the end that he accepted Christ. He kind of interrogated me and, you know, things like that. But we, we, we survived. Uh, but the reason I share that story is because, you know, as I, as I thought of that moment, uh, in all my weakness, I said, Lord, I'm available. And the Lord showed up, right? Like, it's like Old Testament stuff. Like, he put like a cloud over our plane, you know, just so that one man could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that if this man, this member of parliament would hear the gospel, if he would be changed, his family would be changed, that the government of India would be changed. Uh, you know, what joy I had as, as I left that plane to say, Lord, uh, what a joy it is to be used by you. What a joy it is in all my weakness to say, Lord, here I am, use me. And God shows up. God shows up. You know, I think as, as you think of the people in your lives, there's lost people around you. You know, God is saying, you know, is anyone here available? Anyone here, anyone here available want to be used? Because I'll pour out my power. I'll pour my spirit. And I'll use you. I think the Lord's just asking this, this morning, does anyone here want to be used by God? He's so willing, so wanting to use us, so willing to pour out His power. Uh, I want to close by showing a, a final video here. It's from the first Hobbit movie, and if you guys are into the Hobbit. But in this movie, we meet Bilbo Baggins, who is a Hobbit from the Shire. Okay? And he's a, he's a guy who lives a very simple, quiet, comfortable, peaceful life. And then he's encountered by Gandalf the Wizard, and these 12 dwarves that call him on this adventure. And so we're going to see how he reacts to being invited on this adventure. And it's going to go kind of through four scenes in the movie. And we'll see kind of the progression that Bilbo goes through. So let's watch this. It's about three and a half minutes or so. So hopefully this works. As you see that video, you know, uh, Bilbo Baggins first believes that the comforts of the Shire would be far better than risking his life. Uh, for helping these dwarves find their home. But as time goes on, he realized that deep in his blood, deep down inside, he was always made for this adventure. And Gandalf said that, you know, he can guarantee that he'd come back alive, but he would guarantee that he would not be the same person ever again. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ invites us in a far greater adventure. Uh, no heroes are needed. 
the only hero is Jesus himself. He's just looking for followers that want to be just say, Lord, here I am. I want to enjoy this adventure. So let's join in. Let's pray. Father God, we, we come before you and we thank you so much for this time. We thank you uh, for your great grace in our lives. We, we remember we remember the gospel. We remember how you've saved us from our sin. You saved us from the cruel slavery of sin and from the dry and difficult desert of our lostness. And you gave us eternal hope and salvation in Christ. And yet, at the same time, we remember that our life was not merely saved to, to merely enjoy your blessings to ourselves, but to share them, uh, to give them to lost people, to invite them into this holy inheritance in Christ. Thank you that as we give our lives away for that, we don't really lose it, but we gain it. That we become most alive. So, God, be with us and strengthen us and use us for your glory, God. I pray that you would raise up here in this room a missionary force, uh, that you'd raise up an army of witnesses for you that will go out to the lost, to go out to the Bay Area, to go out around the world, to go out to the nations, and giving their life for the sake that others might know you and love you and enjoy you. Oh God, so would you press on our hearts now a deep sense of mission. I pray that we would recognize that we don't need to be the heroes. That you can use us in the midst of our sin. You can use us in the midst of our failures and weaknesses. You, you, you don't use strong people, you use weaklings and hobbits. Failures and sinners. You simply point to a Savior. So God, use us in all of our weakness. For your great glory, your great name, and your great fame. So we thank you, God. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.